Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship teams everywhere. For those of you joining us online uh, at a campus, so glad you're engaged with us. Hey, take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 6. I just want to preach a single sermon today. Next Next Sunday, I'm going to start a summer series called Faith Under Fire. We're going to look at the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to talk about how to react when our faith is under fire. It is under fire in the world we live in today. So how do we deal with that? Well, the same thing was true. It's why the book of 1 Peter was written. And so we're going to look at a sermon series through that book beginning next Sunday. So make sure you're here for that. But today I want to just preach one sermon, Genesis chapter 6. And I want to preach on this subject. I'm just going to call it Obey God. I want to tell you this morning a story about the ultimate social distancer. Noah really believed in social distance. He went out of his way to social distance, but that's not why he's special. He's special because of this one word, the word obedience. Obedience is a word that kind of makes us squirm in our seats. It's like when you were a kid and your mom would call your full name. You remember that? Joel David Sutherland or Sherry's mom, Sherry Janice Stevens. And you knew whatever they had asked you to do, you'd better get busy being obedient about whatever it is they asked. Well, we, obedience is not just a childhood um, discipline. It's an adult discipline. I'm sure you remember the story of Noah, right? The guy who got the Uh, Can we call it this way? The guy who got the strange do-it-yourself project from God, right? He got this odd do-it-yourself project from God. He took out his holy hammer and started building, and he was the ultimate obedient servant because the world looked at Noah, and they thought, what is old man Noah doing? He's finally lost it. He's building a boat in the middle of a desert, but there's Noah obediently hammering away. He doesn't question, he doesn't hesitate, he doesn't whine, he just obeys. And he starts building an ark, something that he had no prior experience doing, never needed a boat, and something he didn't even have a YouTube tutorial for to figure out how to do it. So today as we look at the story of Noah, we're going to focus on that incredible obedience a quality that's so important yet so hard to master. So let's dive into the floodwaters. Can I say that? Let's dive into the floodwaters of um, obedience with Noah. Uh, my wife and I like to go on a cruise ship. I don't know if you like to go on cruises or not. My wife and I, we like to go on cruise ships. And, and I, I'm, I'm not much of a, wa- like, I'm, I just ne- didn't grow up at the lake. I didn't grow up with a pool. I didn't, I just not a lot of, my first cruise ship about 20 years ago I was scared to death about a cruise ship. Now, if you've never been on a cruise, you don't understand this. Used to back in the day, they they make you go to your muster station. Your muster station's where you go to if um, the boat sinks. Now, you watch a video, you don't have to do all that. Uh, you have to just go check in and leave. But back then, uh, they made you go to this. And I like I went. Like they they empty out the rooms and and some people try to get. I paid attention to every word. <laughs> 
Like, I just want to know where my life jacket is and my lifeboat is. I really want to know. And so I, I, I paid attention. And you, you figure out there's a lot of fears when it comes to getting on a boat uh, that large and going out into the ocean. My wife and I, for our 25th anniversary, we took a uh, cruise ship to Hawaii. We sailed from Ensenada, Mexico to Hawaii. We spent four days on the Pacific Ocean. And we literally spent four days without land in sight at all. And it make you a little nervous when you hadn't seen land in a, in a long time. And there are a lot of superstitions that come with being a sailor or even being on a boat. And I'll, I'll quote that famous theologian, Michael Scott. I may not be superstitious, but I'm a little stitious when it comes to a boat, you know. And, and there's a lot of sailors that are a little stitious when it comes to a boat. And so I kind of dug into, I read in a book one time about all the superstitions that sailor, sailors have. For example, uh, one of their superstitions is you have to keep bananas off the ship because many ships uh, that disappeared in the 1700s were carrying bananas. And so they thought it increased the likelihood of disaster. So no bananas were allowed on the ship. Not only that, they avoided the color green. Don't paint anything on the boat green. Make sure the equipment isn't green. Keep green objects off the boat. Why? Because green represents the color of land. And if you got green on the boat, your boat is going to be hunting for land to run into. So they avoid the color green. Not only that, don't whistle while you're on the boat. They think whistling would stir up the wind and cause a storm. Singing is fine, but whispering is not. Have you ever wondered why pirates wore earrings? They believed it was a superstition. You, if you wore earrings, it healed bad eyesight. Of course it does. I don't know what optometrists are doing. Just put earrings in people and it averted seasickness and prevented them from from drowning because we found so many people out in the middle of the ocean who were holding on to their earring and they were saved uh, wearing an earring. Uh, not only this, they believe you should pay attention to the rats. If the rats are abandoning the ship, it's a good indication that it's about to sink. And so you pay attention to the rats. They also believed it was a bad luck to sell on the first day of the month. It has its roots in the belief that the first day of the month was associated with paying bills and debts, which was considered unlucky so you didn't sail on the first day of the month not only this ladies i'm sorry to tell you it's bad luck to bring women on a boat i'm gonna say it's bad luck for the women and it's bad luck for the men in ancient times sailors believed that women were bad luck at sea because they distracted men from their duties and angered the gods and finally they believed it was bad luck to have a cat on board you should drown all cats is wait no that's not what it said um they actually think it's good luck to have a black cat on board. I, sailors, man, stupidest people on the planet. This superstition originated in the days of sailing ships when cats were kept on board to control rats and other vermin. Black cats were considered to be especially lucky because they were believed to have magical powers. Now imagine trying to get on a boat and you've got all of that fear from experienced sailors. I mean, back in the day, when you look at those superstitions, those were guys who were on boats all of the time. And yet they still had all of those fears about being on a boat. People who did it for a living, they were still horribly afraid to be on a boat. Now, I want you to imagine not cruise ship, I want you to imagine not pirates, I want you to imagine not sailors, but imagine the people that were on the boat for the very first time. Get this. Not that it was just the very first time they were on the boat. The very first time a boat existed. They were full of fear and they were full of anxiety. 
But yet that boat was boarded in obedience. Obedience. Why would the very first people, family, get on a boat? That one word, obedience. The moral of the story of Noah is faithful obedience. Now hear me this morning. Listen to this next statement I'm about to say. When you know God, you discover this. God values obedience. When you read your Bible, when you look through his word, it's not just the story of Noah, but when you look through the word of God, you discover that from the very beginning to the very end, that God values obedience out of his children. God values at obedience out of those that call him his. And for somebody that would say, uh, who maybe are disobedient to the word of God and think that doesn't matter, tells me they literally do not know God. You say, how do you know God values obedience? Well, let's just take your cursory glance through the Bible. I could show you much more than this. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commands. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commands. That there's no loving God apart from keeping the commands of God. God values obedience. And if you want to be close to God, there's no way to do it other than you keep the command of God. All the time there are people who will talk about how much they love Jesus. And by the way, we see it, you know, we see it posted on their, on their Instagram profile, their Bible verse and how much they love God and a good a little heart out beside it. And they'll, they'll put some kind of Bible verse. But yet, if you look at that person's social media feed, you'll see things that are very contrary to the word of God. And hear me, both cannot be true. You cannot love God and not keep his commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Jesus values obedience. Not only this, we see this, which is important for us to see in 1 Samuel 15. In 1 Samuel 15, the prophet Samuel had sent Saul out on a task for God. Saul went out on that task for God, and Saul had decided to do it his own way. God had said, I want you to do it exactly this way. And Saul went out and decided to do it his own way. And so Saul did. He did it his own way. He literally disobeyed God and did about the opposite of what God said. But here was his excuse where God had told Saul to eradicate this city and to kill all the sheep and all the goats and all the flock, get rid of it all. God wanted them gone. Saul had decided that he would save the best of the flock and that he would offer it as a burnt sacrifice to God. But here's what Samuel came along. The prophet Samuel came along and said this, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than, better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. And so sometimes we get the idea, well, I don't necessarily obey everything the Lord says, but I do this and I do that. And here's what Samuel said, and here's what God would have us here this morning, that obedience is the ultimate relationship with God. God's not looking for all the extra stuff you want to do for him when we stand in disobedience to God. 
Yeah, but I've got these, I've got these sheep to sacrifice, Lord. I've got these, I've got these goats I can offer as a burnt offering. And Samuel said, listen, Samuel, that's not what God cares about. God takes pleasure in you obeying the Lord. Luke chapter 6, Jesus again weighed in on the subject and he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do the things I say. Right? How are you going to stand before God one day at the judgment seat of Christ and call him Lord, yet you ignored his word and you weren't obedient? Finally, Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He will keep my word. There's just four verses. We go over and over again. The Bible see it so much more. God values obedience in his people. Obedience is preeminent in the Christian life, but it's a little harder than it sounds, especially, especially, especially like Noah, when you don't know or understand what's around the corner. Right? Obedience is easy if it was this. One plus one equals two. If I do this, God will do this, and then this will happen. But here's how obedience works. One plus, I don't know what comes next. God just said do it, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to leave the results to him. So I think we can learn some things about obedience in our own personal lives from Noah. And when I talk about obedience today, no, I primarily talk about two things. I talk, I talk about obedience to his word and his will. Obedience to his word and to his will. And there's sometimes we're wanting the will of God when we're disobedient to the word of God. And I want us to look at today. How do we obey God when it comes to his word and his will? Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? It'll be on the screen. Genesis chapter six. Look, if you, if you will, begin in verse number five. Genesis chapter six, verse number five. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. And the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You're to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You're to put a door on the side of the ark. Make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand that I'm bringing a flood, floodwaters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. You're also to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kind, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, you will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten. Gather it as food for you and for them. 
Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, let me give you a primer of the story of Noah, right? God saw that the world was wicked. As a matter of fact, God makes this incredible statement. He said that the world was evil all the time. Evil all the time. Man, that a little bit sounds like our day, maybe evil all the time. And so God decided to send a flood, destroy everything on earth, but he decided to spare Noah and his family. Why? Because of grace primarily that we sang about this morning. But Noah was a righteous man. He found favor. The Bible says he was blessed. Reminds us of the story of Job later on in your Bible when you read it. And God commanded Noah to build an ark, a large boat that'd be large enough to hold his family and pairs of every kind of animal that would survive a flood. And so the Bible tells us Noah obeyed God's command and spent many years building the ark. And when the ark was complete, Noah and his family and the animals went on board and God sent a flood that covered the earth. And the flood lasted 40 days and 40 nights. Everything on earth was destroyed except for Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. And after the flood, the earth uh, ark came to rest on the mountain of Ariat. Noah and his family and his animals left the ark. They offered a sacrifice to God and God made a covenant with Noah promising never to send another flood to destroy the earth. That is why God set the rainbow in the sky. And let me just say this, the rainbow is ours, not some kind of modern day movement. Noah and his descendants were promised that God would never, ever destroy the earth with water again. And he set a rainbow in the the sky as a covenant of promise that when you see it rain, know that it may flood in your area, it may rain a lot, the rivers may overflow, but the earth will never be destroyed again. And one family was spared because of obedience. How can we be obedient today? What are some things we need to know about obedience? And again, I'm, I'm talking to two groups of people. I'm, I'm talking to some who are struggling, being obedient to the word of God. There are things in this Bible you just, you're contrary with, you don't understand. I'm, and, and like, you've got to deal with that this morning. I'm struggling, I'm talking to people who are struggling obeying the will of God. God's calling you to do something in your life. God could be calling you into ministry this morning. You're struggling with obeying the will of God. These principles apply to all that. So let me talk to you this morning about obeying God. Can I say five quick things about obeying God? Number one, we learn this from Noah, that it's righteousness before revelation. Righteousness before revelation. Here's what the Bible said about Noah before floods even being talked about. The Bible says this, that Noah was a righteous man. That Noah was blameless among his contemporaries. That Noah walked with God. All there in the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, we are told that Noah was a righteous man. Before God has threatened a flood, before God has threatened to wipe out everybody else, we're told that Noah, standing out from among the rest of the crowd, was already blameless, walking with God, and a righteous man. And Noah would have been obvious. Why? Because let me describe to you the rest of the world. Here's what God says about the rest of the world. Wickedness was widespread. Every inclination of the human mind was but evil all the time. The earth 
was corrupt. The earth was filled with wickedness. Every creature had corrupted its way. Earth is filled with wickedness. I mean, over and over and over and over and over and over again. In chapter 6, we're told that the world was filled with wickedness, that the world was absolutely evil all the time. And yet there's one man that stands out. This man was a righteous man. This man was blameless among his contemporaries. This man was daily walking with God. And it's the midst of this evil It's in the midst of this corruption that God finds one man who's willing to be righteous above all. And it was from this state that God called Noah to do something great. That God called Noah 6,000 years later, 5,000 for us to know who he was. Because Noah was a righteous man who walked with God in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. Hear me this morning, if you want to do something for God with your life, if you want to make a difference for God with your life, if you want to hear one day at the end of your life, well done, thou good and faithful servant, it will start by standing out from the wickedness of the culture while you walk with God. You're not going to be able to blend in with the rest of the world. You're not going to be able to look like the rest of the world. You're not going to be able to be filled with wickedness and corruption and evil all the time. You're not going to be able to live like the rest of the world lives and do anything for God before you do something for God. It's going to be you have to have righteousness before revelation. Or can I word it this way? Before the glamour, there was the grit. Before it was popular to be Noah, it wasn't popular to be Noah. Before it's popular to walk with God, there was the pain of walking with God. Before, the, before being a hero of the ark, you were the zero of the world. Because you stood out. Noah stood out because he was righteous. Before God revealed to him the greatness that was going to be his life. Before there was the glamour, there was the grit And I want to tell you in a lost and dying world that we live in today that's full of evil and corruption, if you want to do something for God, you're going to have to stand contrary to the backdrop of the filth of the world and have a walk with God and be a righteous person and stand out from among your contemporaries before you get the glory of the will of God. There's going to have to be the day-to-day grit of grinding out a relationship with God when nobody cares. Not only when nobody cares, but when they may even be mad about it. Righteousness before revelation. Grit will come before glamour. I saw this the other day, and you can't read it, but I'm going to read it to you. It's tooth fairy inflation. Tooth fairy inflation. Average tooth fairy payout per lost tooth. It's up to $6.23 a tooth. Now, in 2022, it's $5.36. In 1998, it was $1.30. It's up 379% over 1998. And I don't mean to sound like an old guy or anything, but I got a quarter. 
And I know some of you are like, well, I got a shiny new penny. I know, I know kids getting $6 and a quarter a tooth now. I remember it's so much easier. You're so much kinder than what you used to be. You used to have not much sympathy on a lost tooth. I had one I was trying to wriggle out one time. I was about six years old and I went to my grandmother's house. We called her Mamma. She died when she was 55. I was just a little kid when she died. And she died when she was 55 years old. And they got me over there and I had a loose tooth. If, you'd blo- if I'd ate a banana, it'd come out in a banana, I thought. And I was just gonna let it grow out naturally. I didn't want him to yank it out of my head. And, and my, 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 my Mamma talked me into tying a string around my tooth And she said, listen, we're just going to measure it. I'm not going to pull it. Let me just measure the string and uh, see uh, how long a string that I have. And I I trusted my mamma. She loved me. I was the oldest grandchild. I was the golden child on that side. And I let my mamma tie a string around my tooth. And then my mamma said to me, she said, well, hey, I'm going to tie it around the door handle. And we're just going to measure it to see if what the length would be in case I wanted to pull it. She said, I'm just going to use the door handle as a guide. Just come over here. So I, I'm a six-year-old kid walking down the string down to here and just trusting my mamma because she loves me. And my mamma ties it to the door handle. And she said, Joel, see, that's all I want to do. And she turned around and kicked the door closed. <laughs> and the tooth didn't come out. When that tooth finally fell out, I got a quarter for that. And putting, putting six-year-olds to sleep now to take a tooth out and giving them a $10 bill, what's going wrong with the world? Tied the door and pushed the door to. That's how, a good, that's how us adults do it. You know what you got to do before you get $6 for a tooth? You got to pull the tooth. You got to go through the pain before you get the glory. You got to go through the grit before you get the glamour. And here's what you learn in the Christian life, that you've got to sometimes get your life tied to the doorknob of life and and, and the other end tied to the tooth of life and it's going to get slammed and it's going to hurt. Why? It's righteousness before revelation. It's grit before the glamour. Joseph learned that in the Old Testament. Joseph was destined, the will of God was for him to be in charge of all the world. But he had to go through the pit and he had to go through the prison before he could get to that place. And he was obedient every step of the way. David was going to be the king of Judah and then the king of all Israel. But David had to fight off a bear first and fight off a lion first and fight off Saul first and fight off a giant first. Why? There's always the grit before the glamour, the righteousness before the revelation. And one reason you may not be getting used by God is that you're waiting on the ark. But God is first waiting on your daily obedience to his word. So many Christians want the the big thing in life. They want the giant thing to do. They want the glory of the ark. But God's waiting on you to walk with him every day. The righteousness before the great revelation of your life. You say, but preacher, I'm desperately searching for the will of God for my life. You'll find it in his word. You'll find it in his word. No, but I want to know the when and the where and the what. You'll find it in his word. As you get obedient to the word of God, as you get your life righteous before God, as then he'll reveal the ark experience to you. 
It's obedience to the word before it's obedience to the will of God. Second thing we learn about obedience is this. Number two, obedience is not a paved highway. Now, I, I want you to show you what Noah had to do to, 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 um, for, for the will of God. Notice what Noah had to do. Number one, he had to walk with God, right? That's what got him noticed. Number two, he had to build an ark, 450 by 75 by 45. It took him, best we can tell from the Bible, best guess, theologians say, between 75 and 100 years to build the ark. This boat is as long as a football field and a half. It, it's, it's half as wide. It's four stories high, though there were going to be three stories in it. Four stories high. He had to gather all the animals. We're not told the animals supernaturally walked up to the ark. No, he spent years gathering the animals. Not only that, he had to gather food and equipment for his family and for his animals, supplies for his family as well. And not only that, Noah had to go about his normal, he had a family to support. Noah was doing this as his second job. Noah was doing this in his part time. In our minds, we think it's a little easier. We think God just brought him the wood and God brought him the animals and God brought him from the food. That is exactly what did not happen. We would have thought obedience to the will of God wouldn't have been as much work as it was. But here's what I want you to know, that if obedience were easy, then everybody would do it. The reason the world is not obedient is because it, there's a little bit of hard work in obedience. It's not a paved highway. As a matter of fact, with obedience, it's the effort that makes it effective. It's the effort that makes it effective. And obedience means more to us when we have to put work into doing it. I saw, I saw the most Googled jobs, right? What do you want to do? Worldwide search volume for how to be a, number one is a pilot. Number two is a writer. <laughs> number three is a dancer. It's a significant drop off. But number one, number two is a writer. How to be a pilot, number one. How to be a writer, number two. So I, I looked at the one and two and just did a little research. A million people a month Google for how to be a pilot. Nearly a million people. Well, why aren't there more pilots? Why is there a pilot shortage? Because best I could tell, doing a little research, it takes a minimum of 1,500 hours and $100,000 to become a pilot. 1,500 hours, $100,000. You know why more, we don't have more pilots? 1,500 hours, $100,000. What about a rider? Rider seems a lot easier. Is it though? John Grisham wrote his first book while practicing law full-time and serving in the Mississippi State Legislature. He, started, he sold his first novel, A Time to Kill, out of his trunk because it had been rejected by 28 publishers along the way. John Grisham, the author worth millions and millions of dollars, worked two full-time jobs, was rejected by 28 publishers, and sold books out of his trunk before he became a famous author we know today. A lot of people want to be writers. They just don't want to do that. A lot of people want to be pilots. They just don't want to do that. A lot of Christians want to be obedient and greatly serve God. 
We just don't want the hard work that goes with it. Hear me. Hard work is part of the process because obedience is not a paved highway. You say, what, what do you mean by that, preacher? Hang with me. Tithing would be easy if you always had plenty of money in the bank. Right? You're like, well, if I was a millionaire, I'd easily tithe. By the way, not true. Not true. Not true. If you won't give out of the $100 you make, you won't give out of the $100,000 you make. It's just a fact. But if money was always in the bank, tithing would be easy. When we pass it at plate, you'd be like, I love to give. You know why tithing is hard? Because you could desperately use that money somewhere else. Tithing's not a paved highway. And tithing is one of the ways with your money. God doesn't need your money, but he's questioning how obedient are you going to be. You know what? A quiet time would be easy if you had plenty of time. You know what you don't have? Plenty of time. You're never going to have time to spend time with God every day. You say, well, if I was a preacher, <laughs> come on. It, it's just as hard for us as it is you. There's a reason I have to get up at 5.30 in the morning or before to spend time with God because I don't have any time in the day either. Because I have to make time to walk with God every day. And if you're going to make excuses instead of making time, listen, obedience is not a paved highway. Coming to church, listen, being faithful to church. Can I just tell you this? Sunday's always going to be the day when you need to do something else. Serving God. Well, preacher, I'd serve God, but I'm so busy. <laughs> There's nobody serving God in this area who's not busy. Obedience is not a paved highway. The question is, are you going to push through when it gets hard? Or are you going to give up? Righteousness is not a paved highway. Obedience is not a paved highway. It's never going to be easy. You're going to have to put the work in to be obedient. I, I got to move faster. Number three, let me just say this. I'm going to say it, move on. Obedience is not a busy highway. You know what Noah didn't have while he was building the ark? Company. Uh, nobody was coming over to Noah's house. He, he, Noah lost all of his friends. He was totally social distancing while building the ark. The only company Noah had was people who came through to ridicule him. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat? It's going to rain and flood, God says. Noah, what's rain? Because it never rained before. Noah, what's a flood? It never flooded before. Noah, what's a boat? Nobody ever needed a boat before. Noah was left behind by the culture. He lost his friends. And that's going to be true of you when you move into obedience with God. Don't look for a lot of company on the highway of obedience. There'll be none. In general, you're going to be by yourself. Number four, I want to tell you this. Obedience doesn't require understanding. And here's where it gets difficult. Look at verse 22. And Noah did this. Follow me. He did everything that God commanded him. Now, let me tell you the great thing about this verse. Noah didn't know what a rain flood or a boat was himself. God said, I want to build a boat. I was like, I'm going to need a picture, God. I don't really know what that is. Do you know what Noah did not understand? Noah did not understand everything. And that leads me to tell you this this morning. 
You aren't always going to agree with or understand everything the Lord is asking of you. Man, and I'd love to preach this whole sermon right here. I'd love to spend all of my time right here. Because when you live in obedience, you are really living a life of faith. You may not understand the why of the obedience to God. But if you trust God, you are going to put him in the driver's seat of your life. We don't like somebody else in the driver. We don't like anybody in the literal driver's seat. I saw this the other day. Now, I'm just going to tell you about my wife. She'll be here at 9, 30, 11. I'll say it when she's here as well. My, my wife's just, she's nervous with other people in the driving, in the car. With me in the car, kid you not, the other day, we were backing out of the driveway and she screamed, look out, backing out of the driveway. And there was nothing in the driveway but me. She is nervous when I get, and and, and of course, I'm a perfect driver, so I don't know why she'd be nervous, but she's not by herself. Survey of adults found over half of drivers always or often feel anguish about other drivers, anxiety about other drivers' behavior. Three in five agree that the pandemic has made people drive more unsafely, which may be why a similar percentage say it's more important to drive safely now than ever before. Similarly, 60% even keep their eye on the speedometer when somebody else is driving. Do you do that? My wife does that to me all the time. She's like, you're driving 56. I'm like, well, the speed limit's 65. She said, I know, but you just should slow down. You should slow down. I'm like, if I slow down, I'm gonna get ran over from behind. You should slow down. And then, yes, most of those in relationships even admit they get nervous when their partner is driving. You know, we get nervous when somebody else is in the driver's seat. And you know what obedience is? Obedience is putting God in the driver's seat of your life. God, I don't understand why I need to tithe, but I'm going to do it anyway, even when I don't have it, because I'm going to be obedient. God, I don't understand why I can't drink alcohol, but I'm going to set it down anyway, because your word says wine is a marker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived by there is not wise. High school and a college student says, I don't know why I can't have sex for for marriage, but because the Bible says flee fornication, I'm going to flee fornication. I don't know why I've got to be in church every Sunday, but I'm going to do it and just be obedient, trust God. I don't know why I need to serve. I don't know why I need to pray. I don't know why I need to love my enemies. I don't know why I need to pray for those who hate me. We can go on and on and on. A lot of that doesn't make sense, but let God drive your life. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to understand it. Let me tell you number five, and then we're going to stand. Number five is this. The blessing of obedience may not be immediate. Did you know Noah obeyed for decades before he saw the why and before he saw the blessing? There were no doubt a lot of times in the beginning he was wondering if it was all worth it. But over time, it was. Now stand with me. Stand with me across the room. Obedience is much the same way. In the beginning, it may not feel like it matters, but hang in there. Hang in there, it will. I saw this the other day. You can't read this from here, but I just wanted you to see the lines. This is when you are happiest in life. Happiest in life. This this bottomed out, is in your 20s. About 21, you're, you're just as depressed as I'll get out. Hang in there, it gets better. 
about 30, you kind of level out with happiness for a few decades. Here, here about 52, you go through your midlife crisis and you sink a little bit. But now notice this. Here's life expectancy, about 78 years old. It's not until you get in your 70s, 70s, that you re- really figure life out. In other words, here's what I took from this. Instead of just trying to be happy, build happy. Because a lifetime of building happiness will eventually pay off. What do you mean? Trade immediate satisfaction for the longer blessing of life. See, if you build an obedient life in your 20s, your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, eventually it pays off. The blessing may not be immediate, but the blessing always comes. When you're a teenager and you're saying, I don't know why I can't go to the party, all my friends are at the party, just just be obedient to God. You'll you'll figure it out one day. When you're giving, you don't know why I have to, why does God want this money from me? Why does he, hey, just give it, you'll, you'll figure it out one day. I don't know why God says I can't do this and I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't act this way. And be, just, just, just listen, put God in the driver's seat and just be obedient. The blessing may not be immediate, but it does come. Noah built the ark for a hundred years before he saw a drop of rain. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? The great revivalist Charles Finney said this statement, and I love it so much. He said, revival is nothing other than a new beginning of obedience to God. Revival is nothing other than a new beginning of obedience to God. Some of you need revival today. Some of you need revival. God's calling you to do something. God may be calling you into ministry. God may be calling you to serve him and you need to surrender to the will of God. Some of you, that's so far from your mind. It's the word of God and you're saying, I don't know why God wants me to do this or says I can't do that or tells me I must do this. Why does God, listen, can I tell you, I know it's nervous having somebody else in the driver's seat. Put put God in the driver's seat anyway. You won't regret it. You'll build happiness over the course of your life. Obedience to his will Maybe you need to surrender today. Obedience to his word. Maybe you need to surrender. Maybe you're fighting something in the word of God. It just doesn't make sense. Quit fighting it. And just find your way to the altar and say, God, today I'm giving in to that thing that I don't quite understand. But I'm going to give in because you said it and I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to do it. You want to start by obeying God? You start by trusting him as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you're watching online, Pastor Jeremy's got a word for you about that just now. I love those passages of scripture that uh, Pastor Joel talked about from Samuel where um, Samuel says, obedience is better than sacrifice. In fact, also in Psalm 51 where David writes the Psalm of repentance, he goes, God, you don't want my sacrifice, you want my heart. And really when God has our heart and we follow him in obedience, It makes such a difference in our lives. And maybe there are some areas of your life where you've been struggling with obedience. Maybe there's there's a habitual sin in your life that you need to get rid of. I encourage you right where you are, in your living room or your hotel room, wherever you are, man, just get down on your knees and do business with God 
and purpose in your heart that you're going to make some changes and be obedient to Him. It's, it's one thing to know Scripture. It's another thing to follow Scripture. And our obedience is so very vital. I'll tell you this, though. Uh, without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can't obey. And, um, and so maybe today the decision you need to make is to give your heart and life to Christ. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. There's absolutely nothing you can do to fix the separation between you and God created by your own sin. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried dead in a tomb, and on the third day, He rose again. And then thirdly, you need to confess Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, We believe in our hearts, and then we confess with our mouth, and we will be saved. Maybe God has spoken to your heart, and that's the decision you need to make today. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer, and it's not the words I say or you say that save you, but it's the intentions of your heart. And um, if God spoke in your heart, tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day to pay the price for my sin. And Lord, I ask you right now through the power of your Holy Spirit to take up residence in my heart. Be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time, we want to say welcome to the family. Man, we want to celebrate with you, but we also want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so we've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. Click on that. It's going to ask you a couple of questions. Please fill out that form. We're going to send you some stuff in the mail. And I personally am going to connect with you uh, this week. It has been awesome to be together this morning, worshiping online. I look forward to our time together each week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.